This is Live Well Talk on Electromyography. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Union Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Electromyography, or EMG, can be a helpful tool used to assess the health of muscles and nerves in the human body. Joining us today to share more about this is Dr. Devin Smith, physician with St. Luke's Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Program. Dr. Smith, welcome. Thank you. You have one heck of a radio voice. I yeah, <laughs> I have a face for radio. Is that, is that uh, what you're saying? I didn't say that. Yeah, I said, that's I how said I took voice. it. Okay. Start off, just what is an EMG? Yeah. So the EMG NCV is what we do upstairs in our lab. Uh, it's nerve, nerve conduction velocity. You got it. Yes. So electromyography and nerve conduction velocity. And like you said, what we're doing is using electrical data to tell us about the health of nerves and muscles. The way that we like to think about it is, is it gonna, it's an extension of our physical exam. So we can get qualitative information about what nerves uh, and muscles might be involved just from a good thorough physical exam in history. But EMG and NCV allows us to actually get quantitative data to look and compare um, not only is the nerve healthy, but how healthy is it? And is there any urgency to any interventions that we might pursue? Can you make the diagnosis of other diseases with it? Or is it just whether it's normal, abnormal? I mean, is there a greater degree of specificity that you can determine, okay, this is MS, this is an MS, or et cetera? A lot of the data with more central nervous system things is from excluding possibilities. What we're really good at is looking at the peripheral nervous system, looking at things like radiculopathies or pinched nerves coming off of the spine or specific entrapments. Um, Some of the most common ones that people would hear about would be uh, like a carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, And we get very objective data from that that can really guide surgeons uh, and different specialists if an intervention is needed. Got it. So, I mean, I kind of think of the most common that I would run into in my internal medicine practice would be peripheral neuropathies, Mm -hmm. particularly painful peripheral neuropathy, usually diabetes, but sometimes can just happen, be idiopathic. Uh But what are some other common diagnoses that you might see in patients? So like I mentioned, the carpal tunnels, probably the number one diagnosis that we make in our lab. Uh, There's also cubital tunnel, which is kind of interesting because most people have probably experienced it, even if only transiently, that's your funny bone. So the cubital tunnel uh, is the back of your elbow. If you've ever banged the back of your elbow, the funny bone, um, you'll have a, a transient or temporary irritation of your ulnar nerves as it's transiting through the elbow. Uh, and it tends to give people dysesthesias or abnormal sensations in right. kind of the outside of that fourth finger and all the fifth finger. Uh, and you can get permanent problems with that that require uh, an ulnar transposition. Um, some other things that we commonly see would be a sciatica or a pinched nerve. And the sciatic nerve, the largest nerve exiting uh, around your buttocks. Um, another thing that, that is a more urgent disease that we see is uh, Guillain-Barre. Uh, so a lot of times... That's one of the few diseases that we can diagnose within the first three weeks. And we can kind of get into that, the timing of, uh, of studies later. But um, that is the one test that we do is called F-waves as, as a part of our study that can tell us a little bit about how, um, how the central nervous system is doing as well as the peripheral. And, and that, 
I think when you're in medical school, you think that's a pretty rare thing. Mm-hmm. But we oh. have a, we have a couple cases every year, you Absolutely. know, half dozen cases. Yeah. Yep, and most of my most of what I do at St. Luke's is inpatient uh, physical rehab, and I think we typically will have at least four or five different patients there. I just discharged someone last week. Yeah, so yeah. very common diagnosis. It, it really is. It should be in your differential if you're seeing a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what should a, I guess the first things first, you, you, this involves needles. Correct. Does it hurt? We, what we say is we have probes. Probes, Protects, okay. Don't let me say needles. All right. Uh, so, so, I, so I can get into that. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, uh, does, does it hurt? It can be uncomfortable, and I hate to hedge on that as a doctor because I've been in procedures. Oh, you'll feel a little pinch. You know, we do use, uh, it's a technically a 30-gauge needle, so it's, you know, about three-hundredths of an inch and very small. Uh, we only need to get into the muscle. Um, most of your pain receptors are going to be right at the surface of the skin, and there's different things that we can do either through distraction or pulling the skin taut that really facilitates getting through that quickly. Um, I think that that's the most dreaded portion uh, of the exam. And what's funny is it's probably the easiest part. Huh. Um, the NCV portion, if anything's uncomfortable, that's probably more uncomfortable than the needle portion of the exam. Uh, and a lot of it is, is that it's just odd. It's not so much that it's painful, but it's odd. Um, we have a lot of patients who've dealt with chronic pain and they'll often comment to me like, oh, this feels like my TENS machine. And that's and that sort of electrical stimulus applied around the back is perceived as um, calming and sedative and anesthetic. Uh, so the intensity of the shock really isn't that bad. One thing that people don't don't like is the involuntary movement. So you may see, depending on the nerve that we're firing, it will actually make the end target muscle involuntarily move. And I think that that's disconcerting for people. But once you have a few, it's not a big deal. Just like the frog in uh, junior high science. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, how should a patient prepare for this? Is there any preparation required from the patient? Yeah. Hopefully you will uh, watch this podcast and be reassured when you come in. A lot of the, a lot of what we counsel people to do is just relax. We're going to talk you through everything. And the thing to remember is that the patient's always in control. There are parts that are uncomfortable. We'll kind of give you a heads up. And if something is, you know, I've done several thousand just at St. Luke's, and I've only had one exam that I had to terminate early for discomfort, and that had more to do with things that were outside of the exam room would be a tactful way to say it. Um, So this is a very well-tolerated study. The main thing to do is just relax. Make sure that you come in with plenty of time beforehand because we want to make sure that we we have the time to give you a thorough exam and get you all the information you need to make further healthcare decisions. Uh, make sure that you don't use any creams or lotions on your skin. Um, it doesn't affect how your nerves fire, but it does affect how our recording equipment works, how it perceives the signal that's coming back through the skin. Um, and it can actually make it more conductive so it's more painful. So huh. one of the things to do would be to avoid the lotion. The drier your skin is, the less of the uh, the amps are going to get through, essentially. And that's what causes the discomfort is the amps, not the voltage. So the oil, the emulsion from that lotion is going to transmit. 
it changes it changes how our yeah. how our machines yeah, record the information yeah. and everything is standardized so what's interesting about this the way that we've determined what normal EMG and CV values are is by looking at thousands or tens of thousands of different patients over time and we create you know a gaussian distribution or a normal curve just like anything else and we're looking at Basically, we can see how pathological things are compared to people of your height, gender, um, your different um, characteristics. We can kind of compare and see what normal would be and how many standard deviations out would be considered abnormal. And to the extent that that correlates with the symptoms that you're giving me, I can say, yes, you have a problem with the median nerve, and that is most likely what's causing the tingling in this part of your hand. Hmm. The other thing, we'll sometimes field questions, you know, I have an artificial heart valve. Can I still get it? Yes. I have a pacemaker. Can I still get it? Of course. Now, if you do have a a spinal cord stimulator, uh, we would like to be able to turn that off so that we're not getting interference for that. So that's something you just talk with your regular doctor about and make sure you turn it off temporarily and then restart it. For the test. And if there's an active infection, if you're sick, we ask that you don't come in because the test can wait. Uh, and also if there's any active skin infection, that is an absolute contraindication to doing the test. We don't want to put a probe through any infected skin and introduce it deeper into your body. Can a patient be on a blood thinner, Coumadin, the newer ones? And still we love have... it. Okay. That doesn't... It's no problem at all. Yep. What, let's, why we're talking about this... Uh, we talked about painful peripheral neuropathy and what are some advice that you give patients to make sure they don't have to have an EMG, Mm -hmm. uh, and to protect their peripheral nerves? Yeah. So we say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So that's a great question to ask. Several things come up that we see over and over. When you're looking at peripheral polyneuropathies, you know, kind of the, the main things that put people at risk for it. Um, diabetes, and the worse it's controlled, the more likely you are to develop a peripheral polyneuropathy. Hypothyroidism, same type of thing. Um, The worse controlled, the more likely you are to have problems with it. Uh, Alcohol is another big one that we see. And the nice thing about alcohol is a lot of times, even if it's progressed a ways, if we can get people to stop drinking, a lot of times it gets much better or completely disappears. Uh, So that's kind of a nice one. You can talk about a modifiable risk factor. Um, There's also people that have heredity. Nothing you can do about that. Um, And I'd say one of the big things that we see, not necessarily peripheral polyneuropathy, but um, with different entrapments, is just the the importance of movement and positioning. Um, And I might just take a take a minute or two on this. So in in PMR, we talk about movement as medicine. And typically what we're talking about is therapeutic exercise. Everyone should have, you know, a a therapeutic regimen to how they're moving to maintain their range of motion and strength. But even beyond that, it's, it's alarming sometimes how many people, especially if, if you're retired and not doing other things, people will tell me they sit in the same position for hours at a time. Maybe they're watching TV, maybe they're playing video games. Something that we run into even with office workers is if they're in a bad position, if they're not in an ergonomic setup where everything's kind of at 90 degrees, over time, if you have pressure right over your your carpal tunnel 
Or the other one will get people putting their elbows on different pads. And sometimes we'll get truckers, you know, they got one arm out the window huh. and one arm like this. Yeah. You'll develop entrapments over time. Um, when you have flexion in these joints where the where the nerves are running very peripherally, they don't have a lot of meat to protect them. Right. Um, they do become pinched over time and over years and decades if they're not getting the blood bringing oxygen and nutrients, they won't repair. Um, so one thing that I tell people, certainly while you're awake, make sure even if you're watching TV or playing a video game, I've seen some devastating ulnar neuropathies from people who just have their one hand here and that elbow's getting crunched for hours at a time. Say, take 15 minutes, walk around, do something else, or at least change the position. When I'm typing on my keyboard, I'm floating. I never have contact with my wrist or my elbow. I keep it floating so that there's no pressure. Huh. And I'll get up every now and then and extend. Because your nerves are happiest when they're in this neutral position or extended. Uh, anytime, even if you're sleeping at night doing this sort of thing, you can pinch those nerves. And, and that will show up over time. Wow, that's that's interesting. You know, I, I like that. Uh, movement is medicine. That's yeah. uh, I can't take credit for it, but I sure spread it. Yeah, you can take credit for it. We'll let you. Just you know, <laughs> just confidently say it, and you know, we would have we would have believed you. Um, <laughs> but th- that's so true. I, I've often said that, independent of cardiovascular risk, prior to surgery, the patients that are ambulatory and moving do better than the patients that aren't. Whether it's abdominal surgery or back mm-hmm. surgery, et cetera. The one, people that are moving about, I don't care how much they weigh, you know, mm-hmm. we used to see gastric bypass surgery and these people would have super obesity, right? Mm-hmm. But they're ambulatory. They can walk around and there'd be people of less degree of obesity that are stationary and they would do worse. It was very true. I the more a, functionally you are, the better you're going to Yeah. Do. I think that's so true. That's and it's so simple. You're we, Dr. Dennis Pack, he was a mentor of mine. He used to say, patients die in bed, get your patient out of bed. You know? Yeah, Same very thing. true. Well, how can a listener, if they're thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I'm kind of feeling some of these symptoms, how do they get an EMG at St. Luke's? Yeah. So we do need a referral from a provider. You wouldn't be able to directly call our office. But if you talk with your regular doctor, uh, they're able to put in an order in our system. And I actually checked with our uh, excellent secretary, Joe Huff, before we, uh, uh, before we started today. And I know exactly how to put the order in if you'd like to hear it. So, sure. So for providers, any providers who may be listening, this is not an, a referral. This is an outpatient order. And you just put in new, as in neurology, N-E-U, 5-E-M-G. And that's going to pull up an order set and you're just going to tell us is it the upper extremity is it the lower extremity is it the right side the left side and give us a little bit of information and we should be able to um to schedule within several weeks usually and one other thing i just struck me can can you can do these during pregnancy absolutely right? there's no radiation or anything correct right yeah, the only real contraindication is, is active the active skin. infection. And if you have uh, some sort of electrical device in your body other than a pacemaker, don't turn that off. Um, we would just ask that you turn that off before you come in. Do people with spinal cord stimulators, can they turn those on and off by themselves? Usually you have to have. I think that there are some people who can, but it's pretty unusual. Usually go into the dock and they'll, they'll they adjust it, correct. right? 
All right. One last question. Why PMNR? Why PMR? I would say what drew me was the musculoskeletal medicine. That's really what I like. I was very interested in sports growing up, um, bodybuilding, weightlifting. And so I thought it'd be a natural extension of some of the things that I already knew. And I feel like we're uh, big picture docs. We don't get, and we have to know the details, but we don't get mired in them. What I really care about is um, what can you do? What can the patient do? How do you function? How do I maximize your function, make you as capable as you can be of doing what you want in the world? And how do I minimize your pain or suffering? And those are always kind of the, the two big things that we have in mind all the time. What information am I giving you that's going to help you be as functional as possible with as little suffering as possible? That's good. Well, you've, how long have you been here? I think a little over eight years now. Eight years? Eight happy years. Yeah, they have been happy. You do a nice job. Hmm. Once again, this is Dr. Devin Smith. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been great information. Uh, Dr. Smith is a physician with St. Luke's Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. For more information on rehabilitation services at St. Luke's, visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.